Welcome to the Conquer Your Battlefield podcast, where we come together to discuss some of the more significant struggles and metaphorical battlefields that we've faced along our journeys and share some insight on how we've conquered them. I'm J.D. McGibney, and today I'll be chatting with an extremely inspiring, vibrant, and courageous woman. She started off her journey in life as a radio and television host across the United States from Boston to L.A. to Miami. More recently, she has shifted gears and become an active voice in the mental health community as a certified mindfulness coach. Today, I'll be chatting with the ever so wonderful Melissa Max. How are you doing today, Melissa? Hi, J.D. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me. I'm happy to be here. Always happy to talk about mental health. I think everyone should talk about it. Agreed. And today, we're going to be talking about mindfulness. For those who are not aware, mindfulness is a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. Mindfulness is a therapeutic technique used by mental health professionals to help individuals better handle their stress and is commonly used to aid those struggling with anxiety and depression. A popular way that people are encouraged to practice mindfulness is through meditation. Melissa, a few years ago, you were diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that left you with physical and mental hurdles to overcome, and then shortly thereafter, were struck with the untimely passing of your brother. You were faced with a lot of heavy burdens in pretty quick succession, but were able to find your way out of the darkness through the study and practice of mindfulness. How is it that you came across this practice, and how has it helped you maintain a healthy level of control over your emotions? That's a great question. Uh, that last sentence there, how has it helped me maintain control? The practice of mindfulness, which we'll get into a little deeper as we go on, is actually about letting go of control and realizing you don't have control. And you find control in surrendering to the knowledge that you don't have control. And you're no longer resisting life. Uh, you realize life happens and you may like it, you may not like it, but you are accepting life on life's terms. So control and mindfulness are, uh, are very, uh, the two words are, are very interesting. They play into each other. Uh, as far as how I learned about mindfulness, I had been studying people like uh, Eckhart Tolle and Wayne Dyer and Jung and all the thinkers for decades. Um, and while everything sort of intellectually made sense to me, I was having a hard time carrying it over into my everyday life and actually practice walking, walking the walk. I, I could read the talk, but I couldn't really implement those things. Thankfully, once I got sick, I started having to look at how I became sick. And that, that became a lesson in the mind-body experience. And I realized that I had been living mindlessly for my entire life. Um, I hadn't been thinking about the food I ate. I hadn't been thinking about the hours I kept, the friends I kept. I hadn't been thinking about the inner monologue I was having. Everything was mindless. I was just on autopilot and I was just a victim of life. So you would think when, when two really, and COVID, when three really big things strike in close succession, you would feel like 
an ultimate victim, but thankfully through learning about mind, mindfulness and eventually being able to implement, I was able to feel more in control about being out of control, if that makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> it totally does make sense. And that's, that's uh, I think it's a really good point that you're, you're bringing up is this, the sense of not actually being in control and, and uh, speaking from personal experience, uh, mindfulness has also been very uh, helpful in, in my life and helping me kind of just like reorient myself. Uh, but that idea of letting go control, I think is really important because there is this sense of like when we're like really deep in like, uh, in a, when we're really deep in like an anxiety fueled like spell, like we just want control. We want data. We want information. And we kind of just keep going around in a circle and like, it just mm -hmm. keeps getting worse and worse because we don't have that control. And that, that idea of being able to go, Oh, I don't have control over A, B and C. So I shouldn't worry about A, B and C, but I do have control over X, Y, and Z. So I will just focus on being able to control those things. And they do relate, but like that idea of being able to let go of the idea of trying to control things we can't and controlling the things that we do. Like you said, you know, you, you weren't being mindful of the food you were eating. You have the ability to control that. So it's like, all right, uh, I'm not going to eat ice cream, you know, four times a day. I'm going to have some more vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Once a day, <laughs> all right, maybe right. twice for, on your birthday for breakfast, for breakfast <laughs> but you know <laughs> uh, listen if you put some like eggs or like bacon on top it counts as breakfast oh so okay, oh you know so what wait, wait 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 you can totally put ice cream on top of waffles that's a breakfast that food. is true or pancakes you know what? I, mean, I think look at, look at IHOP. Yeah, we just mm -hmm. we found a workaround. You can totally have <laughs> ice cream multiple times. We just a day. reinvented the food pyramid, which turns out was totally wrong the whole time. Anyway, so. yeah, ice cream's always on top. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny you were talking about rumination um, and control, and there's a, a couple of important things there when you're ruminating. There's like normal rumination and then there's sort of chemical imbalance rumination. If you are diagnosed with clinical uh, and uh, clinical depression or anxiety disorder, which I was, um, not only are you not cognizant of the fact that you can in theory control that spin cycle, but oftentimes you, you actually physically can't control that spin cycle. And there's all kinds of chemical stuff going on. Um, when you worry about something, there's a neural pathway formed in your brain. And the more you worry about it, the deeper, it's like a tunnel, the deeper the pathway gets and it just keeps getting reinforced. So mindfulness alone, I, I don't want people to think it's like a, 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 an easy button because it's not. If there are underlying things going on, then you need to see the right medical doctors to, to sort of get that under control. But then by practicing mindfulness and realizing what you eventually can, you, you can be on the best medicine and still worry all the time because it's the habit. You can be on the best medicine and then be mindful of the fact that you can control what your brain is doing. And that's where the magic happens. It's all about figuring out what works for you specifically. And I think, you know, 
that's something that a lot of people don't really quite understand. You know, it's like everyone's an individual. So sometimes you have things that can be cured with just going to see a therapist. And sometimes it takes, you know, some medication, you know, it, again, all depends uh, on the individual yeah. and the, the yeah, idea. Yeah. And like the idea of just going to a professional, like going to a therapist, going to uh, going to a psychiatrist, it's like, you know, it should be encouraged across the board for everyone, in my opinion, just because it, it helps. Sometimes you just need that 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 clinical perspective because there's only so much you can do as an individual because you're biased living with yourself. And then your friends, family and loved ones, as much as they, you know, they love you and want to support you, they also have have a bias and may not necessarily have the proper training to help you in that specific thing that you're struggling with. It's funny, I was doing a written interview right before I sat down to do this, and I was just talking about this. And I said, I firmly believe that every human on the planet should be seeing a therapist or a coach or some kind of mental health professional. There's not one person who could not benefit from it. And when I was growing up, there was a big stigma around it. Uh, I am very, very pleased with the way the tide is turning and kids are able, not only able to, but encouraged to express their feelings. And uh, it's not taboo anymore. And it's getting, it's getting more and more uh, in the mainstream that people are talking about. It, and I found that very encouraging. I like you, Melissa, because I, I also <laughs> very much uh, have that viewpoint. It's like going to just like a regular doctor for like a physical every like, you know, like three, six months, because you just need to check up on yourself. Like your mind is just as important as your liver. Or your kid. Well, and the thing we don't realize, and the thing, and this goes back to the initial part of the interview with the autoimmune disease. I did not realize the how intrinsically linked the mind and the body are. How you, you, if you neglect one, the other's going to go. So I neglected my mind for years, and eventually it caught up with me. And an autoimmune disease is when your body starts attacking itself. Well, my thoughts had been attacking myself for decades. So it only makes sense that that's going to happen. Now you could have the best, best thoughts in your head, but be treating your body like shit. And then eventually your mental health is going to suffer because you cannot separate the mind and body. You just can't. That's why I like functional medicine. Um, we are an ecosystem. And we have to treat every part of ourselves, spiritually, physically, emotionally, in order to be optimally functioning human beings. Agreed. You know, it's everything's connected. You know, the knee bone's connected to the eyeball bone, as they say. Right. How long has it been since you uh, switched gears from uh, from being in entertainment? to being a mindfulness coach? So I left Los Angeles five years ago and was doing, it was at KLOS in Los Angeles, doing radio full-time, became very sick. I started doing radio part-time in Miami. I was so sick that I wasn't, my heart wasn't really in it as much anymore. I had brain fog. I had pain. I had chronic fatigue. So I was still doing it, but it just, once upon a time, that was all I ever focused on. Suddenly I had to start focusing on myself and then COVID happened and myself and 95% of my coworkers were let go and never rehired. The, the radio industry has completely changed. Uh, there's a very small 
number of people still working in radio nowadays. Uh, so I had already been sort of organically been studying mindfulness and the mind-body connection to use on myself as a communicator and a broadcaster and someone who takes big ideas and whittles them down. Uh, you know, I kind of found it natural to go. It sounds odd, but like, you know, talking about Motley Crue <laughs> in 30 seconds, it just sort of was a, nat a natural segue for me to want to talk about things like neural pathways and whittle. I'll do the heavy lifting. I'll read the books and I'll sort of whittle it down into bite-sized information to share with other people. I think it's, it's an interesting uh, transition because like, on the surface, it doesn't seem like it really would ha it would be related, but like most of the time when we talk about music or we talk about the artists that we enjoy, that we connect with, there is always this underlying psychological and emotional connection and like an awareness of like, oh, I like this song because of this. I like this band or I like this artist because I can relate to X, Y, and Z. And like the practice of mindfulness is just being aware of all that for yourself in the moment. And I totally see how it would naturally just go from like one to the other. And just seeing, like, talking with you now in person, uh, you just, you have so much energy that you want to be able to connect with people. So I see you going from, like, being, you know, like, a, you know, an entertainment personality to doing this in, as a natural shift. And you're giving back and you're helping people, you know, find a pathway out of the darkness. It feels super exciting for me. Uh, I remember when I started thinking about wanting to do, I still don't know, you know, I wrote a couple of books and I have coaching clients, but I do at some point want to take this into broadcasting, whether it be TV or I still don't know. I'm sort of hoping the universe will put all the pieces in place on that. But, you know, someone said to me, but you know, like you, you have tattoos, like you don't look like a therapist. And I, and I said, well, that's exactly the point. <laughs> like, and people were like, well, who's going to take you seriously talking about mental health? And I'm like, because I lived it. I, 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 if I can come through this with knowledge and some optimism and excitement, even then I think I'll resonate with people because I want, I, I wish I had someone telling me this stuff when I was coming up in a way that I could understand and someone I could relate to rather than just like, oh, here's a grown up rolling my, someone, you know, it's someone you just feel comfortable being around. And that's something else that like, I think is, is important to, to realize is that like in the process of like understanding yourself through like practicing mindfulness, like you have to realize that everybody is different. Everyone's an individual. So having one type of therapist, one type of personality to treat everyone doesn't make sense. Like numbers wise. And, uh, I was actually, I, I interviewed, uh, uh, a therapist a few episodes ago for the show. And that was a, a point that she brought up is the fact that like when she, uh, was younger, she also faced that same stigma where she didn't feel comfortable opening up to people. She didn't feel comfortable talking to someone. Uh, but what helped her eventually open up to the therapist that she ended up uh, speaking to was that the person that she went to went through almost exactly the same thing that she was struggling with. So she felt like she was able to relate and open up and like talk to them and they would know what she was going through. So I think uh, what's interesting too, um, you know, I historically as a, as a broadcaster was an interviewer and some of the most impactful conversations I've had with people 
have been about real deal stuff. You know, I spoke to uh, Duff McKagan for over an hour and he, I mean, he had besides his drug and alcohol use, there was a suicide attempt and he is, I mean, he is just a rebounder, but you know, here's a guy I idolized when I was a kid and he had this conversation with me and no embarrassment, no, just here, this is me. If you're going to be a fan, then you have to know all about me. And then that was inspiring to me. Yeah. Let's talk about this shit. Like, you know, let's, we're all in this together. Life is messy. We're all messy, you know, but that makes us all beautiful too. And I just, I just, we need to get it out there. We just need to have these conversations. Agreed. You know, the, the more, the more we have these kinds of conversations, I feel like obviously it's going to destigmatize it because it's going to become more and more common. So we're not going to be talking about mental health. We're just going to be talking and like, this is what's going to come up. <laughs> I love it's that. Like, <laughs> We're not going to be talking about mental health. We're just going to be talking. We're going to be really talking. We're going to not have the bullshit filter on. We're just going to be having conversations about real things. And I I think a hurdle that people have, again, just talking from personal experience and like what what I felt uh, is that like there's a sense of being a burden if one does open up and say, hey, you know, I'm having I'm having a rough time. And, you know, it took a while for me to really learn the whole like no man and Island thing. So like, we're not, we can't go through life alone. And, you know, I, we can't go through life alone because it is physically impossible. So the idea of holding on to our own emotions and not sharing with our loved ones, what's, you know, what we're going through, I think is just like a, you know, it's very detrimental in general, uh, which my question to you, uh, did you feel that prior to you like going down this, this, uh, this path to becoming a mindfulness coach uh, and kind of like realizing what was going on and like making that, that lifestyle change, did you ever have an issue opening up to your family, friends or, you know, loved ones? Well, this is a sort of the cautionary tale um, because opening up can be a dual-edged sword. Um, when I was a kid and tried to open up, it was a very different time, but it was don't feel sorry for yourself. Uh, stop complaining. Um, you see yourself as a victim. So that sort of, if you are a depressed or anxious person with low self-esteem, that sort of compounds itself and makes you not want to share with other people. And then as I got older and I was very, very depressed, I, I, and, and I, I want to say this carefully. Sometimes we feel like we are a burden, but you have to pick the right people to share with. I was kind of, I felt like I was sinking and I was dumping on everyone. And truthfully, I was a burden to many people. It was too much. They didn't have the tools. I was sucking out the energy. So, well, yes, sharing and asking for help is absolutely necessary and mandatory. Um, we have to be careful who we ask it from and of and what to expect. So that does, it doesn't, if we don't get it, it doesn't compound our own feeling of insecurity and lack of worth and isolation. How is it that you felt that you were able to navigate uh, 
the right people to open up to? I don't know that I was. Uh, I was able to. I, I I was able to navigate well. The right people were authors and thinkers and talkers and the internet. And in my real life, I really I have been to every type of therapy in the world. I mean, I, I was a depressed little kid, so for my whole life, I've been in to every type of therapy. You know, like. Uh, the electrode therapy and oh, wow. ketamine therapy. I mean, I have done and nothing was and, and medicines and acupuncture. And um, for me, I did my, I found my people through books. And then the turning point for me was seeing a holistic functional doctor who realized that I made me realize I am the right person. So um I had to listen to myself. I had to take care of myself. I had to be kind to myself. And I had to take back my personal power and start making choices because no one else was going to fix me. It, it was kind of my job to do it. That's Not that I was broken. But there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it, but I think that's really a fascinating point that you're, you're bringing up is the fact that you're, you're saying you basically went through therapy most of your life and you, you opened up to people. You weren't really holding back but you still were not finding uh that that balance that you you so needed until you got to a certain point am i getting that correctly well you know what i think therapy was hugely okay when i first started in therapy i think i was in college Mm -hmm. and you know i would be stuck on one thing and it was a very good therapist and she said listen she's like we're not getting to the root of the problem we are just you're just obsessing on this one thing so at that point i got a medication and was able to uncover trauma and certain things which was hugely impactful mm-hmm. but then for the next decade or two i would still go to therapy and we would just talk over and over and over and over again about the trauma and at this point it was looking back for me personally reinforcing the the victimology the victim story it was sort of defining oh i am my history and that's what i like about coaching or other types of therapy where it's like okay all this psychotherapy is great for a certain amount of time let's figure out why you are the way you are now that we got that settled now let's figure out how we take that information and give you the tools to move forward I'm not sure if I answered your question, but somewhere in there was an answer. <laughs> no, you, you definitely did. And just I think the knowledge and the research that's being done in the last 5, 10, 15 years uh, for uh, mental health and like psychology in general has been growing leaps and bounds, especially with things, you know, like over like borderline personality disorder, which can, you know, be pretty chaotic. Um the idea that like, again, like you said, you have to identify, okay, this is what's going on. But then like, after you identify what the problem is, it's like, you know, if you're working on a car, it's like, oh, the alternator is what's giving me an issue. You can't just stare at the now alternator. Yeah. <laughs> we got to, we got to re- fix now the problem. Yes. How do we yes. go forward? But it's, it's exactly like that. And I, you know, it, I feel like it's also a good practice in general to switch therapists from time to time as as you need as is needed because as an individual as a person 
you're going to grow, you're going to learn things, you're going to evolve, you know, who you are now is not who you were when you were 10 years old. And like your life experiences change and being able to find uh, people that you connect with, uh, that you're able to learn from and be guided from uh, is going to change over time as well. So when you when you felt like you were in that rut, did you did you did you take time off from those therapists or did you just kind of like jump from like person to person or there was there was time in between i the, the key element that was missing was i didn't realize i played a role in all this i didn't realize i could change my way of thinking i didn't realize that the way i had historically been thinking all of my life did not have to be a life sentence i did there was no pivotal point at that because I didn't, it was like, okay, I have all this, as we said, now what? And I didn't know that, that the now what was the most important question, which was, okay, now, what? now we stop being on autopilot. Now we be mindful. And now we accept, yes, that was my history. Yeah. That history sucked. Do I like it? No. Me resisting it is hitting my head against a wall. So I accept it. It, it is what it is. That's what mindfulness is, allowing life to be what it is on its terms while simultaneously taking control of the things that we can control. So no, I can't control my past. I can control how I look at my past and I can, can control what I do moving forward. What was that one like aha moment that made you like see things differently? It, there wasn't one moment. It really was um, getting sick and going to all the top endocrinologists in Los Angeles who were giving me di different medications for different parts of my bodies mm. without a proper diagnosis. Um, I was having anxiety. So they gave me anxiety medicine. I was having pain. So they gave me painkillers. I was having insomnia. So they were giving me sleeping medication. Uh, my heart was racing. So they were giving me beta blockers. And I was like, there is something I've been depressed in my life before. This is not, there's something going on. And each doctor, each specialist would see me for 10 minutes, hand me a prescription, send me on my way. And when I, when I got to Florida, I, I went to um, my first functional doctor who has become a very good friend of mine. And, you know, we sat down for two hours and basically she was like, you know, you need to do a whole life overhaul, you know, no more caffeine, cigarettes, beer, no more staying up till five o'clock in the morning, going to the rock show. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, I can't do all that now. So she was like, all right, we're going to start small. We're going to do one thing. So we picked one thing to do, which was once a week, you're going to take a walk on the beach. And I started feeling pretty good. So then it was like, okay, now let's add something else. All right. I'm not going to have the caffeine. I'm just going to start drinking water. Ooh, that feels pretty good. Um, so once you start taking little self-care steps, you start feeling a little powerful little baby and then it steps. just little tiny micro steps. It just <laughs> naturally progresses. And then there's a snowball effect. And then you wind up being like me who just wants to shout from the rooftops, like you have the power, <laughs> you can help yourself. That's really important too. Cause like, especially if you're someone who like battles with anxiety, the idea of like, Oh, I have this giant to-do list. Like, uh, it can seem a little more overwhelming, but if you take it one step at a time, it seems a lot more digestible and like manageable. So like, that is like a perfect lesson. And I'm glad to see that like that 
approach really helped you because like talking to you now you're like a ray of sunshine <laughs> like I feel like <laughs> there's so much energy there's so much energy coming off of you like I feel like you're physically like we're physically in the same room I, I okay but I do want I, I want to get this make this clear too I'm not always happy like I am still dealing with the loss of my brother two years ago my parents are getting older I'm in a new city um, I haven't really had time to make friends here because of COVID. I'm redefining myself career-wise. Now, it sounds like I'm giving a whole complaint list. I want you to know that I definitely get down. I'm not always, ah, you know, um, but, but that's you're a human part- being and that's, that's just right. part of, part of and life. And that's part of mindfulness too is at first when I would get depressed, I'd sort of beat myself up for being depressed. Mm. <laughs> so that would just make it grow exponentially. Now it's when I'm down or I'm scared, I let myself acknowledge that. I let myself feel it. And then it sort of passes through me instead of me getting stuck in that state. So yeah, it's um, I'm definitely more resilient and more positive than I've ever been in my life. I was going to say, despite what's happened in the last few years, but but actually maybe because of what's happened uh, in the last few years. Well, it, I'm very uh, glad to see that you've taken, you know, the, the events of the past few years and basically used them as a tool to keep moving forward and find that strength that you have within yourself. You know, again, you know, it's, it's a lot of heavy stuff that you've you've dealt with on top of you know a worldwide pandemic. So <laughs> yeah, you know it's like you said, like Real. you're gonna have you know ups, you're gonna have downs. But I, I think a really important thing that you pointed out is the fact that like you don't shame yourself for feeling those downs. You let them just you let those feelings come and exist and be, and you just you know let them wash over you basically because again we're human beings we have emotions and you know we have ups we have downs we have things in the middle and none of those emotions are invalid they're not good they're not bad they just they are it's how we react and process the world around us and i think what's important about what you and i are doing bringing this message out on social media is as you know aware as younger kids have become about mental health they are bombarded everywhere they look on social media with perfect looking people having perfect mm-hmm. lives and always being happy and it's it's just not true so the pressure they must feel uh has got to be enormous i i thank goodness i didn't have uh the internet back in the old days when oh, I was growing God. up you know i mean it, it's i can't even i i don't even know what i would I'd be like I've huddled in rocking back and forth, and you know, <laughs> if I had grown up with that. So um, I just think it's important to remind as you're as you're scrolling, it's important to you know say to yourself, be mindful, be be mindful of how often you use social media. Be mindful that everything you're looking at is carefully curated and not real. You know, everything you do, you have the choice to be mindful about everything you eat, everything you think, everything you look at, everything you let invade your psyche, you have a choice. And I think that's the biggest, most empowering lesson that I've learned. That is a very good lesson. And Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I very, very much appreciate you, uh, like just sharing, you know, what you've gone through and, you know, your, your perspective on, on it, on life. 
Awesome. Thank you so much again. Keep up the good fight. I love what you're doing and uh, keep doing it. I will do it. You do the same thing. And as a sign off, I truly believe that the more that we as a society feel comfortable opening up about our struggles, the more it will help others to realize that they are not alone. Everyone has the inner strength to face whatever life puts along their path. So thank you again, Melissa, for taking the time to chat. And thank you to everyone that has tuned into this episode. If anyone watching finds that they are struggling with their mental health, please do not be afraid to reach out to your friends, family, or a mental health professional. I'll place a link in the description of this video that will have some information and connection to further resources. And until next time, remember, you always have the strength to conquer your battlefield. Thank you.